I hope this morning as you came to the table, or as the table came to you, that you were able to remember Christ. It's what we're called to do. Remember and celebrate break Christ. That in that moment of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, for those who would put their faith and trust in Him, the most miraculous thing happens. It unites us to God. So it unites us to God, and therefore we're united together. So as we come and take of the table, we're celebrating this union. And I wonder last week, as, as hopefully you heard at least the verses that were read, if you kind of maybe heard something in there, in verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. One of the things that was echoing around in my head was Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your, for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him. And bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. But what Paul is telling us is the theme of what James is telling us. That we as Christians. We who are following Christ. Are to humble ourselves. Are to love our neighbor. And by this, as we heard last week, we too will be lifted up. And can we just be honest with one another for a moment? It is difficult to humble yourself, isn't it? When everything inside you, when everything in this world is screaming at you that the opposite is how we are to act, that the opposite is how we're to think, that we're commanded... To follow the example of our Lord and Savior and humble ourselves. Listen to the first part of this text again that we're studying this morning. And I want you to see how this text flows right out of this section that we've been looking at. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks, speaks against a brother or judges his brother. That's the first part of that verse. I want you to, to hear with me. This morning. That if we looked at chapter 3 verse 16. Hear how this flows right out. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There is disorder and every evil thing. Where these things exist. There is speaking against a brother or sister in the Lord. There is judging against a brother or sister in the Lord. In chapter 4, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? You could add in here, what is the source of um, speaking against a brother and judging a brother among you? 
Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war on your members? You lust and don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious, cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. He could have said there, you're prideful, so you slander your brother and you judge your brother or sister. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. Humble Christians don't slander their brothers or sister. So it's right within the context, and this is also not a new theme for the book of James. If, as we go back all the way to chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Or verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Or what about, you remember this verse, I'm sure, in chapter 3, verse 8. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. James is returning back to this theme. He's really just kind of working these themes as he's writing this letter to these believers. And what he's telling us here again is the danger of the tongue, the danger of being prideful, the danger of following a wisdom that is not from God. Notice in verse 11, he says, don't speak against one another, brethren. Brothers and sisters, isn't it interesting that in this same flow of thought, as we're reading, if we were just reading this normally, a few seconds earlier, you would have heard James use the word adulteress. That there's this kind of change in tone, this change of focus where where at once he was saying, oh, in verse four, you adulteresses. Now it's almost like James is calling us in closely and saying, listen, Brothers and sisters, come here, listen. You need to hear this. Don't speak against one another. This word, is, as you heard Damon read um, from the ESV, can be translated slander, to speak against, to gossip, to speak evil, to speak falsely. Humble brothers and sisters don't slander one another and they don't judge one another. Now, would you believe that sometimes in my office when people come and sit in my chairs that they are full of slanderous accusations and judgmental attitudes? Can you believe this happens in the church? My father, uh, one of the churches that he pastored, was slandered, was spoken against mightily and mightily, mightily evil. And what's interesting, if, if I were to unlock that whole story for you, what was interesting is that it was real easy to prove that the accusations that were made against him were false. But the problem was is that the slander had already gone all throughout the church. And not only throughout the church, but people who didn't even come to the church anymore. <laughs> so that at one of the first business meetings, after the slander had really caught on like wildfire, uh, that was the most packed business meeting we'd ever had. 
hadn't seen some folks in a long time. There's a story about the great, the prince of preachers, Spurgeon. Uh, I heard a, a pastor tell this story and then I, I looked it up and it seems to be a true story. That Spurgeon and his wife uh, had chickens. And uh, they had chickens because chickens lay eggs and they were selling the eggs. And there was a woman in the church who came to Spurgeon and asked for some eggs. And he said, sure. And he, he tried to sell them to her and she got offended because he wanted to sell the eggs to her. And so she went away and it, it became a big story. That Spurgeon is so selfish and so self-centered that he wouldn't even sell, he wouldn't even give me the eggs. He tried to make me buy the eggs. She went around and slandered his name. And it was only upon his wife's death that the truth of the matter came out. The truth of the matter was that the Spurgeons had chickens. They sold the eggs so that they could support some widows in town. How might that story have gone differently if instead of this woman slandering his name around town, might have just trusted, might have just given her brother the benefit of the doubt. One author talks about ways that um, slander and, and judging take place in the church. And one, one way this happens is that when we judge the motives or actions of people, and I'll give you a story. I was with a bunch of youth from here. And now granted, where we were hanging out, it was warm, it was very hot. But you would not believe when we got into this air-conditioned room the way those youth just kind of laid about and took up all these seats that other people can have. And then later, a couple of hours later, I mean, you really wouldn't have believed this if you would have seen it. We went to Steak and Shake and you would have thought they had never eaten a meal in their lives. They were scarfing it down. They were paying no attention to the, to the wait staff around them. It was horrible. Unless, you realize, we had spent a week in Haiti. There was no air conditioning. It was miserably hot. And some person that had grace upon us when we got to the airport in Cap Haitian and allowed us to go into the air conditioning room we didn't know existed. And this was the first time an air conditioner the whole week. I think all of us fell asleep immediately. It was amazing. <laughs> and we hadn't, the meals we were eating were goat and whatever else. So yes, yes, you know, at Steak and Shake, the burgers and the milkshake were a gift from God. But if you would have just stood and judged the motives and judged the actions without even knowing, if you would have just assumed, you could assume wrongly. And then if that assumption, you told somebody else that assumption, then you, all of a sudden you're slandering, you're speaking evilly, you're judging a brother or sister. This author goes on to say another way that we do this is that we judge the way that people spend their money. Never happens here. What about this one? How we raise our kids. Our discipline techniques. What school are they going to go to? Homeschool, Christian school, private school, public school. <laughs> we can be so 
judgmental. Do I need to keep going? Am I sufficiently on your toes? If not, then what I could say is that we can start calling some of you up here to sit in the chair. And what you don't know is that Bill has wired this whole church with a video. And we've put together on the screen, you know, some of the greatest hits of slandering that occurs in the hallways. Now, I am just joking. There are cameras everywhere, but we are not recording the greatest hits of that. But the reality is that we all know that in nooks and crannies and in hallways and in offices and in car rides, this sort of thing takes place. And James is warning us against it and he wants us to see this this reality. Don't. Speak against, don't slander one another, brethren. He who slanders a brother or judges his brother, notice this, speaks against the law and judges the law. When you slander, you're breaking God's law. When you judge your brother, you're breaking the law of Christ. It's not right. We are to know better than to do this. And you may say, Lewis, wait a minute, what in the world is James talking about? And I think as we've been studying the book of James, that we've we've learned enough through the book of James to have some hints of, of what's on James' mind. I mean, one could simply be, it could simply be that one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not bear false testimony. And one of the things is we've been looking at the book of James that uh, several weeks ago that we talked about is that when we look at the Ten Commandments, the, the first table, the, it said that there are two tables of the two Ten Commandments. And the first table is about loving God, ways in which we are to love God, that vertical relationship. And the other table is the, the horizontal, and part of that is loving your neighbor. I think it's fascinating. Uh, several weeks ago, when we were talking about the sin of partiality, we looked at Leviticus chapter 19. And one of the things that we saw is that it really seems to me that Leviticus chapter 19 is on James's mind as he's writing this letter. That he knew this well. And weeks ago, as we were looking at that, we saw the wording of verse 15. And we saw in, in talking about partiality that it seems to be that James is drawing from this. And, and then as we look at verses 16 and 19, notice that this sounds familiar to our text. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. And you're not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Certainly. It seems that James had the words of Jesus, his half-brother, memorized. Because we hear Jesus' words all throughout this letter. And and many weeks ago, as we were looking in chapter 2, verse 8, if you, however... 
if, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And we spent a lot of time talking about this whole idea of the royal law. The words of Christ summing up the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. And the second one is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And we said this whole idea of the royal law, that this is the law of the land. This is the law of the kingdom is to love your brothers as yourself. And also. As we've been looking at James, we've heard the Sermon of the Mount over and over. And maybe, just maybe, this was on James' mind as he was writing this. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how you, can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. As we look at this, as we hear these words, what I want you to hear is that the log that is in the brother's eye in our text. The law that's being broken. Is that this brother is not loving his neighbor. He's not loving his brother. Can we agree? Can we can we agree this morning? That it's not loving your neighbor to speak slanderously against him or her. Can we agree this morning that if we do that, we're violating the law of God? I mean, one of the things that needs to be built into us as Christians, brothers and sisters, is that we need this grid in our lives that filters what we say and what we do. And one of the filters, the grid that needs to be there is what I am saying, what I am doing. Does it accomplish the task that God would have me accomplish? The task being loving my neighbor well. Do the words that are coming out of my mouth display love and care and honor towards my neighbor? Do they edify? Do they build up? Or do they tear down or do they destroy? Can we agree that slander and judging, that when we do that, that we're not placing ourselves under the law of God to love our neighbor but in actuality, what we're doing is that we're standing above the law and deciding which command we will follow and which one we won't. That we're choosing the path of the worldly, the natural and the demonic that we learned in chapter three. That we're choosing the path of prideful arrogance instead of humbly submitting to the law and to God and to our neighbor. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's a weight here. If you've been with us in this study of James, you know that the theme of this book, the theme of this letter 
is to be what? To be doers of the law and not mere hearers of the law. So when James comes in and he levies this judgment, it's weighty, it's heavy. It should land on its reader like a ton of bricks. If you speak against your brother or judge your brother, you are not being a doer of the law. You're standing over the law. And I want to ask you this morning, what would happen if we stopped justifying our slanderous words and our judgmental attitudes and we truly saw it as a sin? What would happen in just in our little church as if we took this so serious that we cut it out? What would happen if we saw this sort of thing as breaking the law of God? Breaking the very ethic that God wants us to live out. What would happen if we saw it that way? How would it transform our community? There's a theme here and James is kind of setting us up for a final blow. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Setting us up here. If you don't do the law, then you're placing yourself as judge of the law because you're deciding what part of the law you'll follow and what part you will not. So that sets yourself up above the law. And then here comes the blow. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who do you think you are? The pride that we all carry, that I carry, when I stand over the law of God and I pick and choose what I think I should follow and what I think I should not follow, or I justify my own actions because somebody hurt me or somebody offended me or somebody acted in a way that I think is just out there. What do you think about God? What are your thoughts about God? I doubt any of us would say that we think that we're equal to him. I mean, what's interesting here is even in the wording of this verse. There is only one lawgiver and judge and one who is able to save and destroy. Again, there's almost this these like echoes of the Shema, right? You remember? The Lord our God is one. Same thrust. God is above all. There is no one like Him. There are no competitors. God is God. The fact that we say, when we say that God is holy, we mean that He is other. He is so otherly that we can't even imagine who he is. If he had not told us about himself, we would be totally lost in the dark. God is so far beyond us. And hear this, brothers and sisters. 
he's not, he doesn't learn, he, he hasn't learned how to be just. God, you know, when we say that God is wise, it's not that he's read all the books and become wise. When we say that God is love or that God cares, it's not that God has like walked the road of hard knocks and he's learned how to do those things. No, no, no. God is just. Not in that he has learned to do those things, but justice flows from him because he is the it flows out of him. It's who he is. He is just. God is righteous. Not because he's learned how to be righteous, because he is the righteous one. He defines it. It comes from him. God is love. Again, not because he has to learn, but because he is love. And when we begin to understand these things, how arrogant and prideful is it for us to play God? To even think that we can stand beside him and to say, I get to be the judge of how I treat my brother and I get to choose which laws are right for me and which laws are not. You know what it reminds me of? Everybody in here has been a child. Maybe you had brothers or sisters. I'm hoping that if you didn't have brothers or sisters, that maybe you have kids. If you were an only child and don't have kids this morning, you can still relate to this. How many times in your past or in your present, and I'm going to speak in my present, have I had to walk into my children and say, you're not the mom? I'm not the mom either, but you know what I mean. You're not the dad. We laugh because we've been in that situation. I very distinctly, you know, remember a time in my life where my sister thought she was the mother for a large part of my life. And it got so bad that one time I sat on my roof. I could climb out. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I sat on my roof. Waiting for my parents to come home because I did not want to be under the authority of my sister, who was not my mother. And she knows this story that's not slanderous, so she'll tell you the same thing. So we're to let God be God. We're to let his word stand. Any objections? Any questions? Probably in your head you're asking questions like this. Wait a minute, Lewis. We just elected elders and deacons in the church. And what we did is there were qualifications. And it was very clear that what we were doing is we were looking at those qualifications and looking at the guys that were put up there and we were judging whether we thought they fulfilled that. And that we could come to you if in our judgment we thought something was amiss, we could come to you and plus you could vote no, you could vote yes. So, Lewis, are, are you all just going against God's word? Judging a brother? And even in those passages when it talks about elders... That it says, you know, don't judge an elder lightly. Don't accuse an elder lightly. But if you, he is, stands accused, there's this whole process of that. So, Lewis, what do you do with that? Or what about the whole book, basically, of 1 Corinthians? Paul's kind of judging the Corinthians. 
They're an ornery group. And Paul over and over again is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? James 4, 4. You adulteresses. Is James just violated his own principle or the principle that the Holy Spirit set out for him? I mean, is this some kind of weird thing that we're seeing in the text? Or what about Matthew 18? This whole process that God has given us in which we are to, to, to discipline one another. What is going on here? The book of Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the difference. Brethren. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So notice restoration, gentleness, looking to yourself, humbling yourself. Knowing that you too could be tempted into the same sin and the same trespass. And then in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the goal of Matthew 18? Restoration. Love. When a brother or sister is caught in sin, you lovingly go to them with the hope of restoration with the hope that they'll turn from their ways and turn back to the Lord. And oh, yeah, that passage that we read earlier in Matthew chapter seven. Listen to verse five, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Humbling yourself, then you will clear, see clearly the speck out of your brother's eye. It doesn't say don't go to that brother, but what it's saying is notice the log in your own eye. Humble yourself. Understand your goal and purpose in going towards a brother or sister who is in sin. The problem is that when we are speaking evilly against and when we are judging in the context of James that we're studying this morning, the problem is that we're not going to build up. We're not going to that brother or sister out of love. We're not going to that brother and sister out of reconciliation. We're not seeking the wisdom from above that is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. That the kind of thing that James is talking about is, comes from prideful jealousy and selfish ambition. So I want you to hear these verses a little different this morning. I was challenged to try to put this in a positive spin. So to take the negative and turn it into a positive. And so let's see if we can do this. Speak life and love to one another, brethren. For the one who builds up speaks love to his brother or sister. This person fulfills the law. This person is subjecting himself to the law. 
when we love one another, when we speak words of edification and life to one another. We're doing the law and we're placing ourselves under it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. And you are doing well. And God is pleased with how you're loving your brother or sister. Pray that this is the way that we would want to live. As we partook of this table this morning, we were to remember the mercy that has been shown to us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You were far off. You were ungodly. You were enemies of the cross and Christ died for you. You've been shown mercy. And those who have been shown mercy What should flow out of us is mercy. When we come to the table. We are to remember the love that God had for us. He doesn't need you. He didn't have to do anything. But because of his love. He sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be reconciled to him. We love because he first loved us. When we come to the table, we see a savior that has humbled himself. Taking the form of a man. Dying on a cross. And the word that we read this morning tells us that God has lifted him up. Will you follow? God helps the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Will you humble yourself this morning and love your brothers and sisters well? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I dare to say that all of us stand under this word this morning condemned. And you give more grace. Your grace is our lifeline. God, help us to cling to your grace. Help us to be thankful for your grace. Help us to stand in your grace and live. And help us to not wander away from it. Help us to both see ourselves as loved by you and to be people who are to spread that love to others. Give us grace. We are in such desperate need. And it's promised to us. And it's available because of the death of your son and the resurrection. And it's in his name that we pray. It's in his name that we stand. It's in his name that we go forward from here. Jesus. The name that's been lifted up above all others. It's in this name that we pray. Amen.